What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project podcast. I am your host, Eric Anderson. Today's guest on the show is Ben Fernie. Um, I love this podcast. Ben is an air chair champ. Uh, he's done some of the most radical things on foil that anyone has done. Uh, and now he is into surf foiling and river foiling, which we dive into. Uh, what makes this podcast special is that Ben has, I don't know, 15 to 20 years of experience now in foiling. It's tangential to surf foiling, um, being on the air chair, but a lot of what we talk about will apply to the surf. And what's so special is that Ben is arguably the first guest who has come into surf foiling with an extensive foil background uh, and gone through and seen the evolution process of foils for a specific objective. And so a lot of what he talks about and brings to this show um, are uh, it has, has to do with witnessing the evolution of foiling in a, in a different sport and forecasting what our surf foiling is going to look like in the future. I learned more in this show probably than any other show, arguably. I hope that you guys feel the same way. Uh, at the end of the show, we also talk about kind of flow states because what he's doing is, or was doing on in the air chair is just absolutely insane. Talking about 64 frame jumps. Uh, they measure air um, behind the boat with frames of the video at 30 frames per second. So a 64 frame jump is over two seconds of air time. So think about that for a second. When you think about what people are doing right now in the surf foil world, that's one second of gaining altitude and then one second of falling. Impact speeds of over 60 miles an hour, um, solving for gear that can handle those forces, solving for helmets that can protect you. Um, just pretty incredible what he has accomplished in the sport of air chair. And now taking that knowledge applying it to surf foiling. Um, I don't know. This, this one's special. It's a longer podcast. I'm going to make the intro short. Um, I hope that you guys get as much out of it as I do. I foresee after some folks listen to this podcast, some gears are going to start spinning about new designs, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see some things that uh, Ben talks about on, on the show in future evolution at least in prototyping for surf foils. There's some things that he, that he mentions that I'm all frothed about. And I think uh, vortex generators, different wing shapes, um, approaching flex from a different standpoint, um, solving for different speeds. You know, when you land on an air chair, you have to, it's a series of jumps. So there's a first jump, you land and immediately go into the second jump. And so clearing air off of the foil into the second jump is of paramount importance. And so all that's going to apply to breaching for us or airs in the future. He foresees a surf foiling landscape in the future of much more radical turns. He thinks that we're approaching it right now. I mean, we are at the infancy of the sport, but he sees when, when surf foilers, guys on wings, um, really start to understand what is possible, things are going to get much more radical very fast, uh, which is exciting. It's exciting to, to have someone who spent so much time in foiling look at what is being done right now and see the potential possibility of, of what is coming. So 
Awesome. I really appreciated uh, Ben coming on the show and his candor. We had a great conversation. He's someone who's going to come back on frequently, I hope. You know, hopefully every six months or so we get another conversation with Ben. It's just a joy to have him have him on. I learned a lot. Um, and it's been flat here for a week. This is a week of being out of the water. And I, I realized something yesterday I thought was super funny, and that is that my relationship with the ocean, I take it very personally when it's flat. I start getting mad. I'm like, what have I done wrong? I don't know if anyone else feels the same way. It's like, why isn't there waves? And, and it's, it's such a strange thing too, because that's the feeling that I had. We had to move back from Costa Rica because for surfing here, it's kind of always flat, but for foiling, it's rare that you can't get in the water. And so to have a week where a wave has literally not broken on the bar, it's the first time I've ever seen that. And so I'm just crawling out of my skin right now. So if I sound strange, it's because like I'm a junkie without a hit for a uh, for a week right now. Hopefully, though, we'll get some waves this weekend, um, get some flights. I think I might take out the boat this afternoon if I get some free time and just um, test some stuff. I've got some ideas on different shimming, different tails, some stuff. Um, just feel it out. So, um, All right. Thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate it. The audience seems to be growing at a pretty quick pace right now. So uh, welcome to anyone new who's listening. Um, and it does seem like everyone's going back and listening to the whole catalog, which is which is really cool. That makes me feel like doing something of value that people are finding enough value in the show to go back. And, you know, some of the first episodes of the show are still being listened to at a pretty good clip right now. You can watch people kind of bounce through the whole the whole series. So so that's cool to feel like you're doing something of value. And, and I appreciate it. And hit me up if you guys got questions, comments or feedback. And let's dive in with Ben. What's up, Ben? We just had technical difficulties recorded about three minutes without actually recording. So we're, we're doing this over. <laughs> What's going on, Ben? Yeah, welcome to the shortest podcast ever. Um, hey, <laughs> we just did it. It was three minutes. <laughs> hey, it's, it's going great. Thanks for having me. It's, it's a true honor to be a part of this. And uh, I just love, I really do love the title and of the Progression Project. It's all about that. I first, I first heard one of these about whenever you had Dave Kalama part one and two on, I listened to it and I'm all about foiling. I, I live for it. I just, it's, it's the best. And, and it really truly is about progression, no matter what discipline you're in, whether you're sit down river, you know, ocean winging, it's all about progression and, and making steps. And I do think there's going to be some, some changes and we'll, we'll probably get to it, but I do see a lot of similar patterns that foil ocean foiling is going that sit down hydrofoiling went through so yeah but super excited we, to be here yeah I'm, I'm really excited this is um i'm more excited about this interview than i've been for a long time just because it's a new perspective you know like the majority vast majority of everyone i talk to kind of follows the same pattern some sort of surfing you know taste of the foil but in, you know slow or abrupt transition into foiling but you have been in foiling for a long time and and before we dive into anything else Give us a background of, I was just watching a bunch of videos of you, man, and it just blows my mind. Uh, give a background of your experience in foils uh, and bring us up to today and then we can dive in. Perfect. Uh, and I'll give like the 30,000 foot view because I imagine we're going to dive in a little bit deeper, deeper to it. But just for, so everyone knows, you know, I'm 46, happily married, have two amazing daughters, awesome wife. Uh, I'm a um, educator, superintendent. So all, all my 
my journey has, has been in hydrofoiling has been as something fun. It's, you know, you, you don't get paid to do it. Um, but I ended up getting a, a air chair. So I live in Spokane, Washington. So we're inland. That's not Seattle, Washington. <laughs> Spokane's on the border between Idaho and, and Washington. And so we're inland. And so we, uh, um, ended up trying to hydrofoil air chair back in about 2000. And it was a cast T-bar wings. There was the stealth curved, uh, wings. And I think I flipped it within about 30 days and landed it and then kind of caught on to it fairly quickly. And then rode that for about three years, transitioned to sky ski. That's another sit down hydrofoil. The roots of hydrofoiling really go way back to the fifties and sixties when they were, they did them on skis. You can go back and look at it and they had like a pair of wooden combo skis with these hydrofoils. That's crazy. So when I got into it, just for reference check, the big, big dogs in the game were Gino Yockler and Todd Kaiser and, and then, a, a kid named Jake Bradley is just going huge and then it's evolved. And so I went from air chair to sky ski, started competing around the nation at events. It was super fun. And so we were pioneering really. Uh, we, we were doing, full, we started doing full twisting backflips, handle pass, all, you know, Rayleigh's and all that as we progressed through. Uh, but the big change, like my focus uh, had always been on 60 frames unassisted behind a boat and so i think what's really i I was looking at the videos and it always talks about the frames i have no idea what that means yeah so it's really hard to measure air so what we ended up developing to capture air is camera back then now it's progressed but back when we first started cameras video cameras would shoot 30 frames a second and so what we we counted air from the second, from the time you could see the front wing begin to exit the water, the the very first frame you could see that until something touched, and that's how we calculated air. And so oh, instead of guessing, cool. smart, right? So you it calculated, and then you know you went from thirty frames cameras to sixty frames a second cameras, and. So I wrote. Well, I should go back. I want. I wrote for air chair, then I wrote for sky ski, and then I switched out and rode for my buddy Brian Schumacher and it's called Extreme Foils. And really what ended up happening was all we did was focused on wings because Brian and I, our goal was to break 60 frames. It's like the sound barrier in foiling. That's, it's huge, 60 frames is huge. And so our goal was a second to do that unassisted. Uh, one, two seconds of air oh, time. Two, so, so before you went to the 60 frames a second, two seconds of air, wow. Well. Yes. So if you do, yes. So 60, 30 frames a second, no matter you, now that you have like 240 frames per second. So then you'd have, the goal was two seconds of air. Wow. Um, unassisted. So we could go off kickers. So like in 05, I think I was at a Lake Mayfield tournament and I, I hit 60 frames. You know, we had two boats side by side, flew across both wakes and hit the, assist. so that's assisted. And so we wanted to do it non-assisted. And really, I think that Eric is where all of our all the development R and D came there versus the playwriting and competition writing. Where we were pushing the sport was how do we get to sixty frames, and then from sixty frames, how do you get to sixty one, sixty two, and you know finally sixty four. And when we were chasing, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but chasing sixty four, I was breaking handles and seat towers and breaking everything, trying to get to that height. And so that really is the journey 
my my the progression for me, I, I couldn't get enough of it. And, you know, Brian and I, we, we've tested about every single shape of wing you could possibly do, uh, in that. And we did hit 60, I think in 2011 and then, uh, 2016 hit 62 and a quarter behind a boat with no tower extension. So boats have towers and then we have a tower on top of that. That's a tower extension. So I hit six, just over 60, 62 and a quarter with no tower extension and then hit 64 the next day or the day after with the tower extension. And it was quite, it was quite a feat. That, um, that's unreal. But the goal is to go bigger and smoother. How much does length of the rope matter? Because you, you know, you would think that a longer rope would allow you to get higher. There'd be less, um, I don't know what you want to call it, but pull down once you hit a certain height. Exactly. That's what the tower extension helps with too. So right. when you're going that high, you're not getting pulled down right away. Uh, and you're, so now you're touching into the, it's really interesting. So the longer the rope and the faster the boat goes, the, the more likely are you can go higher. Okay. And what my, what I wanted to do was be able to hit the biggest air I could ever do behind a boat at a rope length at which I could still do my other tricks. So it wasn't like a one-off, you know, like a 14-foot driver and you're hitting, you know, driving the, a golf ball a thousand yards. It was really about, you know, what's reasonable, what what could you still do with your other tricks and so forth. When I had a longer line, I think, you know, we have a tiny little direct drive boat. I, I can hit six, I was hitting 60 frames behind that when I was going like, you know, at 115 feet. But typically you're going to compete between 90 and 100 feet. That's what most of the guys would compete with mm -hmm. lengthwise with the rope. And so the, the further back you go and the faster the boat goes and the bigger the wake is, the more likely you're going to be able to get big air. That so it does sense. make a difference. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Uh, man, there's so many places that we can take this. Um, let's start with design evolution because you touched on that. And walk us through what you saw um, from your beginning in air chair through where you are now. And then once we once you go through that, let's talk about what you're seeing now in, in surf foiling. Because you should also say uh, you, you are now surf foiling, correct? Correct. Correct. So all along during hydrofoiling from 2000 until now, whenever I got a chance, my wife is a twin and her, her twin sister's husband, Derek, is like one of my best friends. So we, we hang out and we always want to surf during spring break. So we were, we, we would travel whenever we could on spring break and try to surf. And we were doing long boards cause we didn't have much, we don't have ocean here. So we just started doing it that way. And then, um, so with, with that said, I don't have a lot of ocean experience, but we do have river. So I have been river surfing and he, my passion now is I think that we can untap inland river foil surfing with the right equipment. So that's, that's where I'm at now. So I, to go back to your question about evolution of where the wings were and sit down hydrofoiling. When I first got the air chair stealth, the wings were really small and Skyski had wings and they were really small. So these were the same wings that Laird Hamilton and Rush Randall were using to go surf jaws. They used wakeboard bindings on boards, I believe. Um, and we, I know a little bit about that, but that's what they were using too. the same, same wings and they had winglets that went down and 
they were small. And so immediately we knew as we're developing, you know, in the, the years to go bigger and bigger, we knew we needed different wings and we needed longer struts. So we call them struts. It was a strut is a mast and then the fuselage. So we call them T-bars basically. Mm-hmm. I've had to learn the new language and the, so it's mast and fuselage is still for foiling, correct? Yeah, that's what we call it. Yeah, so our masts were 28 inches and they were cast aluminum and so were the wings. And that means that they used a cat, they poured metal versus milling them out out of a single block, a CNC. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yep. So they had molds and they punched them out. So we knew that those, when we were breaking them and we knew that we needed to evolve and the companies couldn't evolve as fast as like extreme foils could. So extreme foil said, Hey, we're going to build, we're just going to build wings and that's all we're going to do. And we're going to be able to retrofit those onto the, the T bars and eventually T bars were made. So what we ended up doing was getting rid of winglets. So my, I ride on Coeur d'Alene Lake, which it gets really cold. I mean, it, it almost, it freezes over every now and then, but to compete against people all those years, I had to ride all year. So I was riding really, really cold water and we couldn't even cross the wake with some other gear because of cavitation. And as we looked at cavitation and what caused that, we knew winglets were a big problem. And so we ended up cutting the winglets off and then the wings got bigger and bigger. And everyone was saying, well, you can't make wings that big. You can't go, you won't be able to cut. You won't be able to, you know, get enough speed and you won't have the slalom, you know, the ability to cut and get on edge. And it was just furthest thing from the truth. The bigger, the, the wings only got bigger and bigger and bigger and the performance just went up. And I correlate that to when I first started to try to river foil surf and actually ocean sup foil surf, Mike Murphy sent me a, a liquid force. I don't, yeah. it was a liquid force setup. And I looked at it and said, this is too small. So I called liquid force and said, you got to make a bigger wing. This is not going to work. It's one of those real, I think it was a kite wing. And so that, that, that really, Eric is, is where I see the connection to foiling is all the stuff that we learned about. We, we made every kind of designed wing you could possibly think of because when you can't, one, we needed to be able to ride in cold water Two, we combo. So that means we do a trick can and you land talk, and then we pop. Let, let me stop you yes. there for a second. Can you talk a little bit about how cold water affects cavitation? I oh, mean, I'm it's sure terrible. it's density, but how? Yeah. Oh, big time. Yeah. So when the water, when water gets below 50 degrees, that was the line at least. And I'm just talking about quantitatively my area in my lake where I'm at, uh, at 50 degrees, freshwater. Yes. At at 50 degrees, you couldn't even cross the wake hardly without the T bar and wings cavitating and just absolutely dropping you. I mean, no, no survival at that point. And then below 40. Do do you know what speeds uh, that you're riding at and then what speeds you're crossing at? Yeah. So we ride, gosh, you know, I typically would ride about 27, 28 miles an hour and I'd cut across the wake, usually mid thirties, probably mid thirties, okay. upper thirties into the forties. Uh, I, I'd, but I'd imagine a really hard cut at 28, depending on if we're doing a double weight cross cut or not, we're, we're hitting mid, mid to upper thirties. Okay. And so below 50 with the cast setups, we were toast and winglets, we were toast. You couldn't even hardly ride. 
And then below 40, water is most dense at like four degrees Celsius. So that's right around 38, 30, right around 40 degrees ish. And that's, uh, we found again, when we're riding in the winter around those temperatures, we do, so sit down hydrofoiling, you do combo. So you land and then you do another trick right after it. And that we needed to shed water. We need to shed air off the T-bar and the wings. And, and we found that the, the, the T-bar cavity, or I should say mast and fuselage T-bar cavitation, there's really no recovery from, but wing cavitation we could fix. So the goal was, how do we shed air off the wing so it doesn't get to the T-bar and, and cause where you just completely dive down? And does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm actually thinking right now about how important that is um, in, in foiling as, as we progress in the sport and you're breaching wingtips and turns or in whitewater hits, it's so important how quickly um, you can shed the air um, and, and get back on lift. Um, so any insights you have there, I'm sure everyone would be super stoked to hear. Well, well I will say that I think what out of the whole message of this whole podcast in, that I could say is it's all 100% performance is about flex. About flex. And not just flex in the... It's about it's flex and then shedding air off the the wings. Yep. And so, I, I think. So we went through. We used carbon fiber one piece T bars and we sh shattered them. You know, carbon fiber is super strong. It doesn't twist torsionally very well. And does that you know? Yep. So think about landing sideways on a wing. That that's going to twist the fuselage, that twists the T bar, and that's we're just snapping them. And I think you're going to see the same thing happening with mass and with mass and, and fuselages and surf foiling is that it's all about flex. The longer the longer these masks get, if you can't make them so that they don't flex torsionally, you're going to lose performance. Period. I mean, we lose frames. So we'd count back to the frame counts. We could count the frames, and then we went to quarter frames on progression of wings and height and technique. And so we weren't just guessing if a wing was better. I can show you data. I just happened yesterday to see, you know, a pad of paper and a run with different frame counts for the wings and the different tricks. And a lot of that is about flex. If, if, if you make a wing so big, too big, then it's going to flex that T-bar and you're not going to get the power you want. And I believe that's going to lay out also in in surf boiling specifically when you start getting higher speeds mm -hmm. but the longer those masks get the more flex you're introducing more flex into the whole system and you're going to lose performance does that make sense it does i, mean, make I don't sense. know where do you define higher speed in foiling so when okay i can relate it to sit down so sit down i usually i'd compete at 27 28 miles an hour on a long line and then i slowed down because of you know blowing out shoulders and all that kind of stuff to 23 miles an hour shorter line and doing tricks and there's a lot less you could get away with a lot less there's more error at 23 than at 28 in terms of equipment okay more room so, for air so more room for air so i think when you're looking at surf foiling on the ocean that there's there's more room for error in that in terms of just you know flying down the line and turning so i have some experience on the ocean i i hooked up with uh, 
King's Paddle Sports, uh, Dave Dom. So mm-hmm. I went down and surfed in Sano, which was super fun. I'd, I'd been river, only river foil surfing before that. So I caught on. The river foil surfing is way harder than catching a wave on the ocean, at least at Sano. Sano's beautiful. And so, you know, Sano, you could catch the wave and catch some speed. And, you know, at that time, when I first hooked up with Dave, the wings were 28 inches wide. And then we're like, let's make them big. We need them bigger. So we went 32 and, and then we went 36. And we just found that same, you know, the same progression that we did in sit down. You can make bigger, bigger wings can go faster. They can. They, they, it's just all about design. And so what, really what I think is going to be interesting is when you start looking at the higher aspect wings that are super narrow and wide, I just don't see how the, either the wing won't flex or, or that wing won't flex the T-bar at some point when you start going really fast. You feel and it. You, when you, do you feel yeah. it? Because I haven't done a high aspect wing. but yep. When you start hitting certain speeds on high aspect, you can really tell how stiff your whole setup is. You'll start to feel the foil wander on you. Is the way that I explain it, it's like kind of starts to get a mind of its own, tracking by itself a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. So that happens. That's flex. So you're either wing is flexing or that wing is flexing your fuselage. So it doesn't really matter if somebody makes the top of a. If you look at the fuselage and you make that flat part where the wing goes wider, that 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 to me, I, I look at it and go, well, you're still introducing flex yeah you have a bigger surface area where the wings made it to the fuselage but for us we made the fuselage thicker below to try to help stop the flex left and right that makes sense um flex is going to be a big deal and that's why i think what i mean we're flying we're going so fast uh, on our setups and they they were more mid-aspect type wings like the mfc Mm-hmm. type looking wings i mean those things those i think you can to me it's going to be back from these narrow wings that are wide that flex back more to a more compact type wing and then you're going to play with profile right where's the cord how thick do you want it i mean mm-hmm. do you want it to be so i really see to me i see it going that's why i would say go more mid ass in my i think we're gonna there's a room for everything and i'm no pro by the way i i haven't even ridden a high aspect wing other than i have a my setup is i I have an mfc 1600 and 1200 and then i have the king's foils i tried have you ever heard of the crazy foils eric no oh look it up crazyfoil.com so i (laughs) if you get a chance take a look i had that set up all trying to get on the river you know, trying to get flight on the river and what does that mean? Look because those, right you know, wa- water runs at like 68 miles an hour for mo- most waves. And the first, so, so the first time I ever tried to ride on the river with a foil, I was at an event in Sealy Lake and I had just gotten a, a river board with the, with the box fins ready for the box set up for the foil. And Sunday night, I was going to go on Monday, Memorial Monday. And Sunday night, I saw a picture of Kai Lenny on the pipeline wave, which is like four hours from here, on a foil, on a river. I'm like, oh, my gosh. That's crazy. That's, that, I'm going to try that tomorrow. So then the next day, I did go and, and try to foil. And I, I mean, it's been a journey because it's really hard. 
big green waves on a river aren't that hard to foil. Uh, but I want to unlock like any wave, like pile waves, any type of wave I think is possible to foil if we have the right setup. So that that's that was pretty crazy to see that, and then foiling the the waves. It, it's the river is really a challenge to foil. Um, what makes it difficult? The the and getting to them is the toughest part because you you have to. So the river river waves are created when water flows down and it like goes over a rock or rocks or something, and it and it speeds up and then it hits its own backwater and it kind of creates creates a pile and then the more water comes it becomes green well to get into those on a my experience with the foil that's really challenging is you it's really hard to you have to cross the eddy you have to cross with the with the wing setup not hit bottom which is super hard so you have to have a shorter mast so i have a 10 inch mast 12 and a half inch mast and a 15 inch mast to to get out into the wave and then so the there's a seam where the water's coming down and then the water's going back up the river. And so when you go through that seam, it's like, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's really a challenge. It's, it's crazy. It's one of the hardest things ever. So then once you're actually in the wave, that's not the hardest part in the wave, it's getting to the wave. Mm -hmm. And then once you're in the wave, if you think about the back of the wing is really stand the front wing is where the water is moving, but the back wing really isn't in a pile wave when it's like foam. So how do you get that up? So I've thrown, I've thrown two front wings on, I've thrown, trying to get that back wing to lift up has mm -hmm. been a really, has been hard. It's super fun though. It's so hard that when you transition to like go to the ocean, it's much easier. It's always good to train in more difficult environments. Uh, as long as you're getting reps, you know, as long as you're not spending all your time. Um, trying to get up. You mentioned before about shedding air, about shedding, I call it ventilation, when you introduce okay. air into the, the, I don't know if that's correct, but um, I feel like cavitation, someone explained this to me, cavitation is is when you are going so fast that you, what is it, micro boil the, the, the water um, on the leading oh, surface. And then I don't know if this is correct. I'm sure I'll get a, an email saying I, I messed something up here. And then ventilation is when, you know, you breach a surface of the wing and then that um, the air travels along the, uh, I guess, the leading edge of, right. of your foil. But what did you all test and how did that go to shed air? Did you test? I mean, in my experience, foil section has a whole lot to do with um, shedding ventilation. How much did you guys ex uh, explore foil section or... Um, actual foil shape, uh, thickness. What did you look at in that process? So full disclosure, Brian Schumacher at Extreme Foils, he designed the wings and I came up with ideas. So I tested them. He knows okay. the more details of where the, you know, moving the cord forward or back, the, the thickest part. You know, we tried even to make a wing that was completely symmetrical. Because I believe I had this theory that, hey, Brian, what if what if the issue with air on the wings, you know, that we're 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 creating all, you know, I get Bernilli principle and all that, but let's let's pretend that we just jack the rear wing with a super high angle of attack, and that that's the thing providing lift, not the the front wing, that mm -hmm. what we want, and so we tried it and it just rode like garbage. You couldn't even ride it. So Bernilli does affect. I know water is 800, like 800 times more dense than air. 
even so it does make a difference. I mean, people are probably gonna be laughing, but it does make a difference. So we tried everything. The first thing we did was get rid of winglets. Downward winglets were just the cause of all what was the cause. If, if you jump, you'd see the air. And as you landed and reentered the water, you could see the air get trapped on those winglets. Did you try um, so that's upturned winglets? The, uh, I know a company did. We cut them off to begin with, and mm-hmm. then we didn't have. And there were winglets also on the rear wing, and so we ended up going with no winglets, and on the front or back. And really, the T-bar. I, I'm sorry, the mast itself provides tracking, so you don't need the winglets to to grab to create, you know, the turning. Mm-hmm. And then eventually our, our wing design evolved to the point where we had shape to the front wing. We tried shapes in the rear wing too. Uh, the best rear wing we could ever, that we ever developed was flat. We tried the mushroom. We called it the mustache. So when you think about, um, gosh, I'm trying to think it's like an M versus a W shape. That was our, um, looks like a bird. Mm-hmm. And then, so we had we had that type of wing, and then we tried that also in the rear wing, and it just it didn't work as well. And we tried cupped wings, up, cup cupped up, cupped down, and for the that the discipline of sit down hydroflowing, it just didn't make. We didn't get enough pop. We lost power. Yeah, it might have been good in other applications, but for what we were looking for, it, it really didn't make a, a difference. And I will say, the first wing we went after was the front wing, because we wanted to get rid of winglets, and more power and then when we changed the rear wing when we messed with that that has a huge huge impact at least on the sit down hydrofoiling and i would imagine you know a lot of surf foiling that a lot of work's been done around the front wing but i think you're going to see the evolution of the rear wing and and how much difference that really does make in performance it makes a huge difference we you know I 100% agree. It's it's massive. Um, you've got you know custom tails coming out. Guys like Katie Maui, good designers, um, developing tail wings. Um, I feel like for me, I just want the most minimal drag I can possibly have with enough surface area uh, on the tail because it's so much faster. You know, like I um I just tested this new uh, Takuma. Kijira 1210 and it's a it's a really good foil but with the stock tail didn't really unlock the potential and i took out this custom foil or this custom tail that i made um which is the smallest in profile it's the least drag of, of any tail that i have and it's probably 10 15 faster i mean it's amazing and once you're able to get up to those speeds it's so much easier to keep it um and it's a similar shape to what you were just saying i mean it's basically flat and it's about 13 and a half inches wide and almost nothing to it what yeah what is that so it's flat um it's got is a it little flat or is there any shape to it? there's a little bit of a shape to it but not much i mean it's got a it's got a very minimal uh foiled profile on you know on the bottom uh and then mm-hmm. very slight like one centimeter uh down tip roll at the edges um it's the simplest tail that i have and it's also my most it's my favorite by far so don't you think eric that that if it, you don't need to build rear wings high aspect because you can't, I guess to me, you just, all you need to do is change the angle of attack for more lift. Right. That's and, what is I that do. too simple of thinking? I don't know. I just, I look at it and go make a really good, efficient rear wing. And then you should be able to adjust with shims, the yep. angle of attack. 
Yep. That, that's what I like actually. Um, and depending on conditions, I will, you know, the faster you go in, the more I shim basically. Correct. The more I want to pump, the less I'll shim, but then that also translates into, you know, like as, as you build speed and turns, you get more forward pitching with less tail shim. So it's finding that balance between how easy do you want to pump and how easy do you want it to be to turn? That's interesting. So when we wake foil behind our, our boat and pumping across second wakes and stuff like that, it's that's about the extent of the pumping I've done because you can't really pump on the river and I'm not on the ocean enough. Why can't you pump I on think, the river? Right, because of the well, water flow? Uh, well, I pump to try to get the foil up, but mm -hmm. I just I don't have the right setup. We're not oh, dialing. Oh, when you the say on the river, yet. you mean I, river surfing, not like behind the boat. Yes. Okay. No, right. But you can pump behind the boat and uh, the second wake and do all that kind of stuff and let go of the rope and pump along behind a boat. But I think for me, the angle of attack. So we, on our hydrofoil, sit down hydrofoils, our fuselage, we, we got it to the point where, you know, eighth of an inch, a quarter of an inch moving the rear wing forward or back made a huge difference, huge difference, like eighth of an inch, depending on the water. So the lake I rode on had huge amounts of lift. So I'd go to other lakes and I ha I'd constantly be shimming up. So I like my foil to have a ton of lift. Mm -hmm. And the faster you go, the more, you know, the more lift you need. Right. And so when I transition to like stand up foiling on the ocean, I haven't found a wing that that's overpowered me because on a sit down hydrofoil, your, your safety position is forward on that front. You want, you want lift to come up that you're pushing down on much like a plane you know, you trim a plane. Well, you mm -hmm. always want foot pressure. So I don't like foils that you have to kind of, you don't, I like massive amounts of lift in the front. Yep. And maybe it's, and maybe it's cause I'm a newbie too. No, that I, I like that. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I like being front foot heavy. I like the balance point being forward to where I can move my back foot in front of the mast and kind of cruise around and uh, keep that weight forward. I do not like having to kind of manual if you think about it from a skateboarding term like on the tail to keep the foil flying so i like to shim for that but the cost of that shimming is more drag so depending interesting on, yeah but depending on what kind of um what you're optimizing for i can create a beautiful surf field but then i'll lose a lot of pumping so there's a there's like a, a sweet spot in the middle but don't you think if you had a really efficient rear wing I'm talking like a flat one with hardly any drag mm -hmm. and you shimmed it, you're not, you're not going to have, you should still have plenty of speed. You would, you change the, I mean, it goes into fuselage length too, but you change the cadence and the, I guess if you think about it from like a wave form, the wave of the pump. So the more shim you have, the quicker the pump is going to, you can't stretch out your pump in the same way. And being oh, able I to gotcha. stretch out that pump um, is how you can get going really fast on the pump. Is that because the lift, it lifts up so quick that you have to pump again quickly, quickly Correct. again? Yep. You can't okay. stretch out like the bottom of the pump. I, gotcha. so, like, I love the MFC stuff. And since we have a commonality there, like if you throw on the red shim on the MFC, that's my favorite yeah. surf shim. Um, but then the pump become, becomes a much higher cadence and a little bit slower. You can't get that same like long glide out of it interesting so yeah i use the red and i'd i'd take more if i could you know i, <laughs> I might even put put more lift in, in into it throwing a credit but card. then i would be 
I'd be like a jackhammer. Yeah, we used Rockstar tabs and credit cards when we shimmed before we actually had 0.25 shims, 0.5, 0.751 um, on the foil. Hey, will you tell me about, I'm really interested in this Kajura because it sounds like, it's very, like something similar that we went through to, sh- to shed air off wings. So the Kajura is, sounds like it's a whale or something, a whale. Yeah, it's got design. the tuber, tubercles on the leading edge. And it seems like, and now here's where I, I don't know. I, I'd like to see the data behind this because it could also be foil section, but it's one of the better foils for uh, being able to to ventilate. But then you look at like the the lift 170 high aspect and that thing is just as good and doesn't have the tubercles. And so maybe it's all foil section. I think also one of the things about ventilation is the, and Kane explained this to me, uh, it's the angle of the tip on breech. So foils like the MFC or the Armstrong HS1250 that have a down roll at the tip, as you breach, you introduce more air because it's not such gotcha. a, a big angle to the, to the water line. And so you want the steepest angle possible. So foils with dihedral that don't have that down, down roll will have the steepest angle. Um, to the water and gotcha. like, that, like the stealth, the signature stealth 200, which has that, that combination is the best breaching foil that I've ever felt. So I don't know how much is the tubercles, but I can say that they are incredibly efficient. Um, cause I can foil a 980 and that's, you know, kind of insane to think about uh, without really. Yeah. I'm like, how much do you weigh? Uh, buck 90. Yeah. I'm right. Like 185 ish. Yeah. And that's small. Yeah. yeah. We we looked at we looked at golf balls and then we looked at whale whales like okay. on the big humpback whales with, with their fins. We looked at how quickly they were able to turn. And so we well we Brian figured out a way where we we wouldn't put nodules to create the air, but the concept was kind of similar to is really similar to if you snow ski and you wax your skis that you want to make sure after you scrape it off that you use like a Brillo, a little green Brillo pad to break up the suction of the air. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why golf balls have dimples too, so that it, you know, it doesn't get stuck or, or pulled a certain direction. And so he created grooves in the wings and that immediately shed air and it, it it stopped air from going to the wingtips and it also helped stop air from going to the mast and so, uh, to the mast correct how, how did you create the grooves well see he so oh, okay used, so so actually not not like you were sanding them in like actually how, how big were no. they uh it varied it really varied uh they were too big because i cracked the wings mm-hmm. they weren't strong enough but the, the concept, though, was how do, we, how do we get air off the wing and be able to turn? Like vortex generators. You know, mm-hmm. airplanes have the wing, upward winglets, yep. and so people do that as well. And then also wing shape makes a difference. And I think the difference for us, when you look at shedding air, the, a flat wing, it, you've got to have, you've got to give the air a way to go. I guess even with curved wings, you still need to be able to shed that, get that air off the wing and get it to the, to the trailing edge of that rear wing before it goes to the wingtips or to the mast. And we had really thick ones 
that probably would have worked if you were just surfing because they wouldn't have broke. Mm-hmm. But I broke, you were flying pretty high and that just weakened the wing too much. So then it became, where do you put them? You put them wide. We even, we even did one wing to try to shed the concept. Same, same, so that was the whale concept was the vortex generators. And then we also took a wing and put, so if you, if, if you think about a wing and the thickest parts on top, and then we transitioned to having the thickest part on the bottom of the wingtip to try to see if that would shed air before it caused mass issues. So it tr- transitioned from air going over the uh, water going over the top Bernilli to the thickest part at the the last third was thicker underneath. Oh, interesting. How did that work? <laughs> yeah, worked well. Yeah, it worked well. It was really hard to make, so it didn't make enough difference performance-wise to continue to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, great pop, though. I mean, it really did. And all all what we did was based on numbers. We didn't. We guessed. You kind of have to guess on wing design. When it came to data, though, we production wings were based on data. So we we it wasn't we weren't we weren't guessing. We could tell you. On, on my pass, I do a wake roll. We test wake rolls, air rolls, some some type of mobius front flips, and then if it could combo, and if it could clean up. And my my thing progression wise is I wanted the wing that would go the highest. I'd figure everything else out. Mm-hmm. And we ended up going back to a design we call I called it the muffin top, but he called it I don't know you know what he called <laughs> it because because it's like spilling frames. And it was, it was just a big U. It, was just, it looks exactly like a lot of the wings out now, the, like the curved type wings that yep. are just, you know, mid aspect, high aspect. They weren't, they would be considered high aspect because they're really thin, a complete curve. The issue we had with it is it cupped. So you, you, you begin cutting out and then it has to roll back left. I don't, and, and I imagine surfing is pretty similar. Um, if it's, if you have a completely cupped, like a U it would be like an N, you know, U typical when you roll, you, you feel it roly poly, right? When you really want to turn, but it also captured the most power. So then it's just about adapting your writing to that. <clears throat> I think what's going to be interesting is we, we had a complete U, we had a U shaped wing completely opposite. If you think about a U mm-hmm. opposite. So you take the current wings and you flip them upside down and then you put the, the cord to match so it's so it's a u that thing landed beautifully it cut incredible and you talk about cleanup and foam and the wingtips are up like what you just talked about i don't see how you it wouldn't be a u the opposite that's interesting because because you could breach no problem it's gonna it's gonna carry on and if you if you're into errors and you land it cleans up great it turns great i think you're going to see some of that i think you're going to, you're going to be in Jacksonville, Florida in a year talking about flips and spins and everything on small waves that nobody else wants to ride. How beautiful is that? It's it's really limitless. I think the equipment's going to have to match the air game differently than what it is now. It's all about flex. You're and, and wings that are explosive that allow you to get vertical and quickness. Our T bars, mm-hmm. we maxed, so we went from 28 inches to 32 inches to 34 inches to 36 inches, and we tapped out about 40 inches on the T bar. When we went above 40 inches, 
we, we, the swing weight, we couldn't get the foil vertical enough. We had the, there was more power in the 40. As we went taller, we just couldn't get the foil to turn around on the dip to go vertical. And mm -hmm. we also introduced more flex. And so 40 was the max for us at our speeds and what we were doing. You're going to see, I really think you're going to see more aluminum. It's going to be back to the Laird Hamilton Rush Randall stuff. You're going to see people with, I, I would imagine, eventually the high, high-end people are going to be getting one-piece milled 7075 aluminum equipment. And I know it's it's already getting to the point where, I mean, if you get hit by one of those masks going 35 miles an hour down the face of a wave, you, I mean, you can die. And our wings that we yeah. used to sit down hydrofoil were like knives. And they developed G10 and G10 flex too much. And so it went to, you know, the cast to milled out wings. And so I really do think you're going to see metal aluminum reintroduced to the sport, kind of doing a full circle, especially when you talk about going down big, big waves, because you can't have flex. I mean, carbon fiber flexes and the wider the wings are, they flex. You're going to see designs with the wings. The faster we go, you can, you can have a big wing as long as you have some meat behind it. But a, a real thin, mm -hmm. wide wing is going to introduce flex to that fuselage, and it's also going to flex itself. You're always going to have some flex, but you're going to want to minimize it. And I think related all the way back to the original question about air and surf, I think the same thing is going to be happening there. You're going to want you're not going to want flex. Flex is you lose you lose performance with flex. You have to you have to accommodate for flex. Do you think we're putting too much value right now on how light a setup is? I now, in terms of the concept of flex, yes, we didn't. We're, our yeah. carbon fiber stuff did not last. It didn't make that much of a difference once it's in the water. I'm not a. You're going to know far more about pumping and hooking up multiple waves when i went to sano i could surf a wave you know that's all went down to nukes one time scared myself i've been on the ocean maybe hmm. 15 times total uh, but i think when, when when you talk about weight i would take heavier setups that didn't flex over light setups that flex and it, it's that simple and eventually where those aluminum masks connect to the fuselage, and I get that they're inserted inside, you know, they go inside the fuselage to help. And I think Axis even has a thing that goes up that helps reduce that. Mm -hmm. In the end, there's still flex there. And so that's how do you make that not flex? Well, you get a one piece. So hydro sit down hydrofoils have two piece setups. They're at a 60, 61 aluminum, I think. And, mm -hmm. you know, they bolt in and, you're off to the races. Uh, but the high performance is a one piece aluminum T-bar. And I, I do think for like Jaws and Nazare, you're going to be seeing some of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I really enjoy my setups that are, it's one piece carbon, but the T-bar, you know, as, as you say, at the mast fuse is, is a single piece. GoFoil does that. Those have very little flex comparatively. Takuma does that, very little flex. Um, yeah, I mean, if I do a flex test, you know, right when I get a wing and, you know, just put it on, its, on, on the board and then grab the wing tip and just see how far I can push it down <laughs> right. on most setups, 
it's it's not it's not subtle. I mean, talking about at least an inch at the wingtip of movement. I felt it for the first time when I tried the 82 centimeter mast on the 1600 MFC behind the boat. And again, mm-hmm. I'm coming back. I like lots of front lift and I like things really, really stiff. My king setup is 25 inch uh, mast and it's all metal with a 36 inch front wing, super non-flexy. I got, I, I, I could barely even ride the thing to begin with. It was just, it was like standing wobbling. And then when I put those same wings modified on smaller, a shorter setup, it was incredible. And so for me, and it, that's my background, flex is, is not good. And the more, the less flex you can get, the better. So the wider the wings, the more flexy you're going to have. I'm sure you feel that. Have you ridden really big wings and it's hard to turn? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They tend to track. Yeah. Um, yeah. On, on their own. It is interesting though. I was experimenting the other day and it seems like some flex might help being able to roll over a high aspect wing. If you can get the board going before the wing has to start to turn. I had a, I had a very early unifoil setup, the 210 that, um, there was something weird in the layup. Um, Cliffy actually sent me another mast and the, but that really flexy one, I look back and I did some of my best turns on it because I think I could leverage so hard on the board before the wing started to turn that then when it did come around, it came around incredibly hard. So there might be something there as far as in the surf and doing turns, but we're not talking about high speeds. We're talking about, I mean, on that foil, probably 10, 13 miles an hour is where you're doing your turn at. So um, at higher speeds, that setup was very difficult to ride interesting do you think do you think there'll be a movement back towards the in the surf for tricks and whatnot back towards that 24 25 inch mast i think you've already seen it in some places Um, i don't know i don't jason foil fever jason rides like a 24 inch mast. at least when he was on the show he was riding a smaller mast to um to just have a lower center of gravity when you're kind of hitting the lip and doing those little air tricks and stuff like that he's he's ridiculously good at that stuff um i don't have a setup to let me test it right now so i haven't really played around with it too much but that it'd be interesting to see if that's the way it goes you're going to find a balance and of course each discipline is going to have its own Mm -hmm. you're going to find stuff that's best for the wing and stuff that's best for the surf and surf tricks you know there's going to be there's going to big big wave riding is going to look different than you know ocean and I, I think that's what's so cool about what's what's happening right now. I think it's interesting that companies are not using like they they have different setups, so wings don't fit on different setups. They're not interchangeable. That's why I went right. with Kings originally because Dave Dom could make a wing that fit the the Liquid Force T bar and mast. Mm-hmm. that's why I went that route was just to try it. And it made all the difference, you know, those, those uh, I, I would say it's more mid aspect type wing, but it just seems like if a company, all they were dedicated to is wings, like what extreme foils did, it'd be fascinating. Right. Just, yeah. I've got a couple of friends that are constantly upset that they can't interchange gear. Um, it is a bit maddening, but there's no standard yet. There's nothing that's, 
differentiated to a point where everyone else would want to jump on it yet. Don't you kind of see a little bit of the Rush Randall and the Laird Hamilton, what they did way back in the day, coming back when you have, yep. I mean, they were using snowboard bindings, but now we're getting more sophisticated, you know, feet strap, foot straps yep. and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's really coming full circle. It is. And when you start thinking about some of the airs that folks are doing now, um, Austin Tovey lives here in Jacksonville. I actually foiled with him this week. He's going to come on the podcast at some point here soon. And he's one of the guys doing backflips and rotations both ways. He, he's obviously an incredible wakeboarder and kite surfer, all that. But I think at some point you're probably going to want a more secure um, setup for, for bindings when you're thinking about the foil rotating above your head and all that. I mean, <laughs> I think I would. I don't want to hit that mast. For sure. That Jake Kinnison from Skyski at our tournaments when we we're on the sit-down hydrofoils, uh, he would, you know, Skyski makes them. You can go on their website. They make a, a board that you stand on with a mast that goes down. And he would do f like a single flip across the wake. The issue when you're on a sit-down hydrofoil is you have your feet strapped in and you have your seatbelt so that the wing, so you can't be hit by the, mast and wings or it'd kill right. you and the flexibility you can still get hit even if your feet are locked in and you're doing some massive tricks you can still hit those wings and and t-bar and mast and that's where that that's freaky stuff that's amazing what these what these like jeffrey spencer is doing flips like flip yep. after flip kyle is in fact when i was on the north shore rush ran uh Rush Randall towed, towed me out into some kicker waves on the sit down. That's a whole nother story, but I, he let me tow him, in, tow him in. And I think it's a wave called phantoms. It wasn't the huge breaking wave at that time, but he did a flip in the wave. He's just on his stand. No yeah. Way. He towed him in and he was surfing this wave for a long time with the bindings. And then he did a flip just in the wave. And that was like eight years ago. Tell me about that experience, about what you learned from spending time with Rush. Okay. Well, I, the first time I hooked up with Rush was, I think, 2010. Our family goes to the North Shore once once every two years when we can afford it. And <clears throat> we surf. And because of all my injuries, I ended up actually learning to paddleboard because my shoulders are bad. Um, but in 2010, Sky Ski, through the relationships earlier with Rush around toe in you know when rush was really big and do it sky ski jake kennison knew rush and he said ben you you and rush would get along great so i hooked up with rush on the north shore it was too windy but we put in holly eva harbor with his wave runner his sled he just towed me out past point of point and it was pretty crazy then looking down and seeing all these sea turtles and the loss setup was still there on the north shore at that time with the airplane you could see that and he towed me into a couple waves. It's super windy though, but he towed me into waves and on the sit down. And when you let, when you let go of the rope, it was, there's too much lift. I was going too slow in the wave. Mm -hmm. So I, I would have had to massively de-shim it. But our, the goal is really to use the ocean wave as a kicker and just go as high as possible. And it didn't really happen in 2010, but then I think it was 2012. I call it the Rush Randall experience. I have it on YouTube. It was, it was pretty wild. We put in at sunset sunset point and 
he towed me behind the wave runner and he is such a, he is a waterman. He was able to, to drive and film. He, he was pulling me in the ocean and filming with the GoPro. And we went across towards Velzy land. I, I'm sorry. I don't know all the names. I believe from sunset point, he said that we were the waves we were trying to hit were really phantoms in outer Velzy land. And the goal was to, my goal I've been dreaming of is just to go hit, you know, 60 plus frames off the top of a 10 foot face and see what would happen. And mm-hmm. so we, we did it and I crashed a few times and I finally, finally I hit, I hit the top, I hit it perfect. It's like, it's, it's not as easy as you'd think. And I'm pulling this sled around and at the top of this wave and I just flew, everything went sideways. The rope, you know, I'm bailing. I had the GoPro on top of my helmet and I hit the water so hard it blew the GoPro off. And I, <laughs> I, I had, I, I didn't know if I lost my teeth. I had a hole through my lip. I, I still don't, I'm not sure what happened. And he came back. I wish I, I, I got to find this video. He came back and he goes, you're bleeding. But he had to tow me out because the waves were breaking right there. So he towed me out and we ended up ending, <laughs> ending the session after that. And I, I had put a hole through my lip, but I counted the frames. He said you were like 30 feet off the water. And Rush doesn't, Hawaiian culture specifically, I believe, but Rush himself, they do not exaggerate. I'm like, oh, really? And then I went back and counted the frames, and it was. It was about, it was about 30 feet off the face of the, oh of the wave that just was complete disaster. I had to go get stitches um, from that. However, before I went, I, I was able to tow Rush, and that he he was doing his old board that he had, the Rush Randall board and the wings, and that's when he was just flying along, uh, doing flips and whatnot in the wave. It was it was a pretty incredible experience to be able to go do that. But that was in like 2012, that's nuts. and the day before, Eric, the day before, right out front, we were uh, in our ha- in the, in the house by leftovers. I don't know if you know where leftovers is, but we're right by leftovers. And the day before, uh, a surfer had been bitten by a shark and got pulled out uh, and lived. And his foot, the foot stayed on, you know, was able to survive and everything. So then the next day, I'm dropping into sunset with this orange mast. I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's sharks. I'm so scared. (laughs) And then I was bleeding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And watching your videos, the... And there's a couple wipeouts in the videos that I saw. I mean, that's just that amount of air, that amount of speed. I mean, what are your worst injuries? I'm sure you got concussed. Yeah, that not good. It was about progression. Yeah, scary, man. I wouldn't change anything of what I did because it was just, I just lived still just, it's foiling. I don't know. I think anybody that gets on a foil, you either love it and it's what you want to do or it's not. And for me, I was hooked from, from day one. I've had a couple of shoulder. I blew my shoulder completely out. Uh, I had to get recon, get bicep ligaments put back on. A couple of shoulder surgeries, and then my uh, my hips uh, both had to get scoped from it. And then at that time, they didn't know a lot about concussions. There's like grade levels of concussions, like grade one, grade two, and grade three. Versus mm-hmm. now, it's it's a lot better. So yeah, I had too many concussions at the time. Though I I wouldn't have changed you know any of it. I'd a lot of it I was teaching. I'd come back with black eyes the next day and 
kids would say, Hey, what, <laughs> what happened, Mr. Bernie? And I'd say, I'd show them a video and go, that happened this weekend. So yeah, wouldn't change it. Uh, but I, you know, we wore helmets, mouth guards, earplugs. We did everything we could to be as safe as possible. But when you're pushing the line, pushing that line to try to get 60 frames and then all the way up to 64, I was coughing up blood if I felt, if I got the wind knocked out of me. And it just got to the point where I, I, I couldn't focus. I, I, what I wanted to do after I hit 64 frames, I still rode, but I, I wasn't able to be on the cutting edge anymore. And that mm-hmm. for me, I just, it wasn't filling my cup. And then I transitioned to river surfing and then river foil surfing. And, and I still, it's the difference is that, that sit down hydrofoil flying in the air. There's not that adrenaline rush. It's a quick, you know, it's just, it's fulfilling. And so it's, it's a different experience on the river uh, or ocean surfing. Uh, but now that's ri- unlocking river foil surfing is the passion right now. I just don't have an extreme foils yeah. that can help me make all the wings I want. So I'm, I'm making tri wings. I use, I'm trying all different stuff to try to get lift out of these pile waves. Um, thank you. You know, when in watching your videos, one of the things that I noticed is the mechanics of your pop. And it was interesting because that dip, I think is what you called mm-hmm. it before you kind of pop the air. I, I found that now I do that when I hit foam. So I'll be pumping towards foam. Or I'll be flying down the line and I'll go low and then I'll almost do like starting like a little like ollie air ahead of it so that I have momentum going up into the section. And it looks like it's a similar start. I mean, obviously I'm going much slower and I'm not really actually getting out of the water, but it's like the same mechanics as your pop. Can you talk through that? That's the whole sport. The whole sport in terms of air is what is the dip to the water and and coming up and turning the the T-bar and mass vertical and most people. And I think you're going to see this as surfers begin flipping more and going higher is that most people just think you lean back. And if you picture sitting in your chair and leaning back, and if the mast is going straight down the chair and you lean back, your back is behind the mast. And so your center of gravity is your head. So the, so things just flip around your head. You're really not, catching air you're just letting the foil rotate around your head your head doesn't really move too much and what you want Mm -hmm. in that dip as you come up is to be is to be in line with that mass as you go up with your body and then you want a really steep takeoff and you want when you say in line with your mass do you mean center of gravity over the foil not leaning back and so you're not just flipping a lot of the stuff right now you're seeing is is people are flipping and they're not going vertical. They're just rotating. And I and mm-hmm. and really what you're going to start seeing is people getting up higher. They're gonna they're gonna get out of the water first and then flip. Some people say jump flip that never worked for me because a jump if you do a true jump on a hydrofoil you can't flip it. It's not steep enough. But it's the same concept. You've got to get the. What do you mean by a jump? Can you can you define that? Yeah. So you. So on a hydrofoil, or it doesn't matter if you're behind, if you have one of the, the, if you're foil surfing, wake foil surfing or, or ocean surfing, when you jump, if you think about after the board hits and you start coming up vertically and you look at the mm-hmm. angle that the wings are leaving the water, think about the, ma- what angle is the mast? 
you know, is the mass, if, if flat down is, is 180 is the mass at, or at zero is the mass at 45 degrees to the water is the mass at mm -hmm. 30 degrees. So those are jumps. When you do a flip, you've got to get the mast up there in the 70%, 70, you know, degree part to get vertical enough to do a flip. Most people to do that though, to get it that vertical, just lean back versus a downward, downward dip. And then as you're coming vertical driving and then staying in line with the mast and not getting behind it so that you shoot straight up versus flipping around. I don't know if that even makes sense, but that was the whole sport. In it, it does make sense. That, that was the whole. Yeah. That was a very, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, that, that was a very hard lesson that I learned on a mountain bike at one point off of this jump where I leaned back and pretty much destroyed myself. I think it's how my back problem started. <laughs> Just landed on a root, like six foot fall. Um, yeah, you got to stay over the center of gravity up the jump, I guess. Um, that makes a lot of sense. And so you're seeing people right now in foiling, leaning back and then rotating using, I guess, the back of the wave as kind of the altitude, but really they're just doing the flip with the foil instead of staying over and actually kind of launching and then flipping. correct. Is that right? And I don't, I don't mean okay. just flipping. It's incredible what these folks are doing. That's not, what yeah. I'm, it's, I I'm talking about the progression will be a vertical lift and then the flip, and then you're going to see all sorts. It's going to, it's going to unlock tons of things when folks are able to really go up to that lip and, and not just, um, you know, rotate back and just have the body, the, the, the momentum of the foil, bring them around that they're actually going to be up bringing it around themselves. That's, that's killer. Yeah. I think it's going to, it's going to um, happen. And I think that that is a whole nother podcast because you're going to see all sorts of different techniques and you're going to need different setups. You're not going to have any flex. You're probably going to see shorter mass and you're going to have wings. You're going to have a ton of angle of attack. You're not going to worry about pumping because you've got to get that foil vertical. You, you, and the mm -hmm. only way to do that is to have a high level angle of attack. So after you hit the, the water and you start coming up, it's dry, it's driving versus kind of just wanting to go straight. So on the biggest airs, I was actually in front. My, my chest is forward. I, I can see the wings as I take off. So that, I, oh, wow. right? So it, not backwards looking at sky. I'm actually looking through the board, my feet and the wings. And then it goes up. Yeah. Anyone who is listening to this right now should hop on YouTube and just watch 10 minutes of Ben. Um, doing what he's talking about right now because um, you won't appreciate uh, what he's talking about unless you've seen him do it because it's uh, it's heavy. I mean, it's big. It's, it's much bigger than you'd imagine. Well, that's what I think a little bit about foiling versus surfing. Surf foiling versus uh, surfing. You know how there's the different, there's a different view on it. Like some people may dig mm -hmm. on it. And for, uh, for hydrofoiling versus like wakeboarding, amazing athletes. The thing about hydrofoiling to me though, is, is the height, the explosiveness is what drew me into it. It's just, there's nothing like it. And I see the same thing. I love watching, uh, people on foils in the ocean connecting waves. It's like a, 
like you're painting your own picture out there on every ride and that that's great i i just think it's going to unlock a whole nother discipline and then you then then you have winging and so if you're an inline guy like me you can start trying to wing we call it wing flailing my buddy dave and i are doing it and it's we flail more than we 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 fly but it's still foiling talk about your journey into into winging and actually how we've been talking about differentiation of gear i feel like because the wing is powered, a lot of what you've been talking about is going to correlate more directly with winging than with surfing. I don't know if you feel the same way, but it seems like that rigidity, rigidity in, uh, um, in gear and then also wing sizes and what you've learned will probably have a much higher correlation I, I, to, you know, powered air power. I, I think that you're, I think that's a really good insight, Eric, because you have that wing that's a power, like a rope that's pretty similar. Mm-hmm. I'm not even, I'm not even in a position to talk about, you know, I, I can get up with the right amount of wind. I know inland wind is different than ocean wind. It's not as strong and it's gusty. And the first time I went out was on Coeur d'Alene and I was able to, you know, get up a couple of times and fly by no means. And I'm like not turning, I'm just trying to fly and pump the thing. And so for me, I want the biggest wing. So I ordered a gong nine meter wing. And then I want the hugest, highest aspect wing as possible because I want to be able to fly at like six miles an hour. And I have not found my theory was that higher aspect, more efficient wings would fly better in slow at slow speeds. And I'm just not finding that even on the river when it flows six to eight miles an hour, big green waves again. Those are, you can foil those, no problem. But if we're going to untap, we want to untap crappy waves that are, you know, a foot and a half tall, that could be some green and some foam. Uh, those high, those really efficient wings I'm finding don't fly. And I'm finding the higher aspect wing that has more resistance do. So that's what my, my thought is. I want tons of foot pressure. I want a wing that can fly or a foil setup that can fly like six miles an hour with the biggest wing mm-hmm. and then just figure it out. So that's what my plan is. Uh, I have a six, I have a six meter zone wing um, that I, I, so Carlos Moreno is, is Kyle, Kyle Lenny works with him. He's the hydrofoil company and through some, Mm -hmm. you know, back sources, Carlos hooked me up with this guy named John McCabe, who had these six meter ozone wings. So I ended up getting one and my buddy Dave got one and we're out all the local lakes around us. We're trying and, it's just fun exploring. A lot of it is going goofy or for me, I'm left foot forward. So he's goofy. So when I say goofy, he's like, no, that's normal. But, um, when I go right opposite, so I'm, I can sail right foot and I flew like five seconds on that side. That's very different. Um, but yeah, it's, it's wing flailing, wing sailing, flopping around. I don't don't know. Where are you at with it? Are you able to turn and fly any advice for me? no, man, I'm not the guy to ask. I, I can get up and and fly. And then when it comes time to turn, I just depower the wing and I just use my foil skills to pump, <laughs> get where I want to go. And then I engage the wing again. So I cheat. But actually today's blowing. It's flat as it gets out back and it's blowing at like 20. So I think that's what I'm going to do this afternoon. What equipment uh, do you use for that? The Kajira? Um, no, I you know, the, the Kajira tips scare me. So I won't. 
I won't do that. Um, I feel like I get pulled over the front all the time and kind of taco on the wing still a little bit. So I'll probably ride the uh, signature 250 Albatross, just something really big with tons of lift that I can control. I know the I know that foil really well. How tall is your mast? Um, it's a 27. It's a 75 centimeter. So maybe it's a little bit bigger, maybe 28 and a half. And when you say Albatross 250, does that mean it's 2,500? Like it's 250 square okay. inches. I want to say, I think it's like a 1700. Now you, you, you've talked to a ton of people. Where, where do mm-hmm. you see it going? Where do you, do you see high aspect? Do you see, um, where do you see it? High aspect, low aspect in, in um, the future? So what I'm most excited about right now is are wings that are kind of hitting that mid aspect. I mean, in a perfect world, you want to be able to pump around for, I don't know, a minute and a half and still be able to surf at a high level. And this version three, like V3 is what I'm calling it, um, foils that are coming out right now, the Kijira, the Game Changer, Lyft's new stuff that's coming out. Those are all hitting that mark to where you're not sacrificing so much in either in either space. Mm-hmm. Um, for winging, I don't know enough about it to have a to have a viewpoint at all. Um, and then, you know, and that's also coming from the conditions that I have, which are generally pretty small. I'm not optimizing for going 35 miles an hour. I don't have that on tap. Um, so. And that's what I saw. Like Kyle Lenny was surfing, winging at like over 35 miles an hour on MCF wings that, and I know mm-hmm. he does, I mean, he has, he's testing a lot of different prototypes, but I do think mid aspect shaped wings offer the ability to, to have the wing not so wide and reduce mm-hmm. flex. So to me that, that shape mm-hmm. just makes a lot of sense to mess around with, you know, the thickness and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, but yeah. it does, I, I think that that's what I would see especially too, uh, in the surf when you're, you're catching air and you want to shed water. Um, I don't know. High aspect seems like you're trying to, if they're really wide and it'd be harder to turn you depending on how wide they are. Yeah. Yeah. The, the higher, the, the, the wider the span, the longer it takes to roll it over and the more you tend to get stuck, uh, at the end of a turn, Interesting. which yeah, it kind of delays everything. You can't go rail to rail as fast as as you might like to do. But then the trade-off is you can stay up on foil a lot longer. They're so efficient. So and those have the it's all about feel. Those have longer pumps, right, Eric? Like th- those have that those so you do three pumps on a high aspect that would be like, you know, twelve on a oh no, three pumps on a high aspect, then a right. Then like would be 12. like a lot more. Well, I don't know if that's the right way to look at it. I think fuse length and shim have a lot to do with how many pumps, but as far as efficiency and glide go, you get a lot more out of the higher aspect foils, but then it's also foil section. It's thickness. I mean, that's the one thing that I've been really um, spending a lot of time thinking about right now is as you get better in surfing, you need less lift. Hmm. So, and you, and you can, you can maintain higher speeds and so you can get away with much less um, profile thickness in your foil and maintain those speeds. I mean, so your margin margin for air, your stall speed, you know, is higher, 
but as you're better, you can maintain those speeds and then everything's more efficient. So I would rather pump like say the Kajira 980, which you have to go a lot faster to pump it, but you're covering so much more ground because you're going faster. Um, the issue is if you bobble, if you miss a section um, when you're turning or it, you can't recover because you know you have to maintain oh, that, the speed. It, 10, 12 miles an hour uh, the whole time. So that's, that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm such a newbie that I like super low aspect wings when I'm on. Mm-hmm. Big, I, I just I just want tons of lift and 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 go from there. And and I think well, for, for wing another. Yeah. Oh, for winging, I was gonna say another big difference is freshwater to saltwater. I had the opportunity to ride a bunch in some freshwater conditions um, a few months ago, and it's it's a very it's a slipperier feeling but you have less lift so you need a bigger foil okay um and then everything felt slow when i got back in in salt water and opted for smaller foils interesting because so you have more are you saying you think you have more lift and buoyancy in the ocean because it's salt and all that you have more drag but then more lift at the same time yeah you can get away with a bigger wing and fresh water from what i have felt well, that's all we have around here. We get to the ocean when we can. <laughs> Here's something else I want to ping you about in watching your videos and, and the wipeouts. You mentioned helmets. Um, so when I wear a helmet, a lot of times I'll feel like it actually gives me more of a slap when I hit the water. Is there a speed, in, like an inflection point in speed where it's better than to to have a helmet? Like right now, I'd want to wear a helmet to protect myself from the foil and the mass, but I don't like it at all when I hit the water. Um, how do you, how do you relate to helmets and what kind of helmets did you land on? That is a, that's a great question. And so we, and the, the, you know, when we're competing and whatnot, really had to look through what's going to work and not work. And the first thing that there's two theories, one theory was no helmet because you have a more surface area to slow yep. you down to have your brain, you know, get a concussion. The other theory was right. that it helps if you have the right one with padding. So I tried mm-hmm. originally my first helmet was a gath. I think it was a surf helmet, a gath, the real thin one. Mm-hmm. And it didn't, it provided no protection other than the fact one time my feet came out of the, before I had my feet locked in. I had rubber heel straps and it, the foil came around and hit my head and indented the, the gaff, not much protection in terms of hitting the water and is really thin. So then I went to a pro tech, uh, one that was high on the top with ear flaps. And mm-hmm. I found that to be horrible because it was top heavy and it actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would hit and it was bad. So I went, I, that my favorite helmet, was the ProTech full over the ear plastic and it had lots of padding in it. Mm-hmm. They're the old school skateboard ones. Mine, I like the yellow mm-hmm. one. That was the, my best helmet that I ever wore. And I always wore Doc's Pro Plugs for my ears because I blow, I blew eardrums through in the winter. I'd have earplugs in, a swim cap, and a helmet. And I'd hit the water so hard I'd still blow my eardrums out. Because oh it's such a collision, violent fall if you do it wrong. Do you have any idea of what your impact speeds were? I mean, you're doing 28, crossing the wake at 40, but then you've got the whole vertical, you know, what is it, a second of free fall? Yeah, and the, so you, 
the worst wrecks were when you came in sideways. So 90 degrees from the boat, we yep. called those scorpions, side scorpions. And you have a 40 inch T-bar, the seats, what, maybe 16 inches. And then you have from your waist up. So if you think about a lever, I mean, you had to have been hitting the wall. I bet your the, our heads were 50, 60 miles an hour. Oh I mean, I, they had to have been on the really bad ones. So that's why mm-hmm. I, you know, I went fetal. There's a, there's a video called, I think it's affliction where the rope snapped. I was trying, I was going for big, huge air testing and the rope snapped and I, it was 65 frames to my back. I coughed up blood. And at that point I'd already gone, oh I'd already seen the, the doctor and the doctor's like, you know, it, you might have a blood vessel in your lungs that ruptures you should you need to stop and I, well, i'm not going to stop foiling you know I, no way and the rope snapped so you'll see in that video i didn't want a concussion so i went fetal i put my head between my my legs as tight as i could and i got my arms crunched like an alligator so that if i came in sideways i wouldn't get con- you know a total concussion but i landed on my back and it was really scary i, I like i saw my I thought I was going to die. I saw my family. I hit so hard. Um, and then as I came up, I was just waiting to drown in my own blood. And, and, you know, the boat came back and, you know, I ended up not dying, but I was completely black and blue from that, you know, and that's when I started. So that was in the fall. And then that spring I hit 64 and then I stopped. That's when I stopped going for, for big air. And in fact, when I was going for 64, I just love, you know, when you're really in the zone, I couldn't, I would cut out and then I would be thinking about like my family and then I would cut in, I'd turn that off and I'd cut in at the wake and hit as hard as I could. And I knew, I knew I was reaching the ends of the big air when that started happening, when that never really happened before. And, and, and wow. yeah. So, so to back to your question, so, I would go, I would go protect lots of padding. The other argument was just wear earplugs with no helmet. So I tried that for a mm-hmm. little bit, but I landed on, I wanted padding. I didn't want a helmet that like the gaff for protection. I don't think the gaff would be a bad thing for winging and for surf foiling because you're not hitting your head at 60 miles an hour. You're really not concerned about mm-hmm. that as much. And I wouldn't go with the ProTech with the high top and the ear flaps that cause it's too top heavy, but but I, yeah, gas would be great for that because you're, they're narrow. If the foil hits you, it's, it's going to protect you. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, you, you just touched a little bit on something that is a thread that I weave into the podcast. And I think you'd be a great person to, to dive in on this. And that is flow states, why we do these crazy things, you know, and then the difference between the state of pure, I don't want to say pure adrenaline, but what you're doing with the air chair, which is of incredible consequence versus what you're doing in river foiling now and how you see those states, what your draw is to them and how you relate to that term. I think that would be a fun way to uh, talk about that for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes before we close this out. You bet. I think it's all about your progression podcast. I think that what you just described is a flow state and you can get into flow state on Again, a 10-inch mast flying and on a what doesn't even look like you're flying, but you feel it that you're flying all the way to, you know, 25 feet off the water. 
for me, it's that whole flow state is all about challenge and skill. You know, you want Mm -hmm. those to match and you don't want to get bored. And I have had a hard time. The sit down hydrofoil provided this time and clarity for me where when I went out and did it, I couldn't, I didn't hear anything like earplugs never bothered me because I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear the whistle or anything. I was just in this different zone and with high consequence that just, you know, it's no different than skiing and jumping off cliffs or race, you know, motocross, but for hydrofoiling behind the boat, that was, that was flow state. And I've had a hard time because it was such a, it's such a high consequence state that it's very different than surfing. And I've learned mm-hmm. that the, to get into flow state surfing can totally be done. It just feels different. The rush isn't as high, but, but that search to, to, to get the, to fly basically on the foil and whatever medium we're in is the ultimate goal. And I know people make mm-hmm. fun of it because they're like, oh, I can't even tell the board's flying. And I'm like, yeah, I don't care if you think it's flying or not. It's awesome. It's, it's, you, you know, you're in a pile wave and I'm surfing a wave that, that is hard to surf anyways on a river board. And, and you're, you, it's, for me, it's that development. Okay. So what's, what's the next phase and, and how you get there. And I would imagine Eric, it'd be like, I can picture like when I watch videos of you and, and other guys that are and gals that are amazing, like connecting waves. I, 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 and, and surfing for, you know, two minutes at a time, you've got to be in a flow state. Is that true? I, I think that they're different states. I think that, uh, I think about how the right way to, that I could explain this and, and then I'd like to get your thoughts on it as well. I, I think that there are moments when I'm pumping around connecting waves and I can kind of be talking to my buddies and, you know, joking, like while I'm even up on foil now because I've gotten so comfortable with it. But then there are other moments and it's almost like the vanishing where the whole world peels back and your pinpoint focus. It's like, it's like the conscious. I, I have this belief that as we get older, we get better at building these um, models of the world. So we don't experience the world directly. We kind of like live within our model of the world because we have a process for everything that we do to take away the complexity because there's just so much information coming in. But I think when we get in those moments, probably like when you're doing those huge airs or you're connecting on a big, on a bigger wave, like right under the lip or, you know, hitting the foam, even though that's not that consequential, but it's very technically difficult that the aperture um, opens way up, but the focus gets very, very narrow. And that's when you're kind of like living that pure existence almost. And those are my favorite moments. Um, so I think that there's, there's a mix. I think when you look at like flow states, there's a wide gambit, but I think flow is like a term like love that has been very overused Mm -hmm. and can mean, you know, you know, like art people can get into a flow state when they're, when they're producing art, but that's, I wouldn't argue that's the same state that you're in when you're launching, you know, 30 feet up above the water, (laughs) you know, like there's a, I think that there's a difference in, in that feeling. I think that's also independent of the chemical cocktail that happens. I think that what I have become addicted to is the stripping away of all outside experience or future or past and, and just being purely present in something that requires all of your faculties, um, for that moment. Um, I don't know. Does that sound, does that 
I like how uh, you talk about, you I like how you talk about a, a there's a spectrum of flow state. I that, I've never thought of it that way, but I think it's totally true. And if you've ever seen the Kevin Costner uh, movie for the love of the game, the one it's a long movie, <laughs> but he's a pitcher, and all of a sudden he'll he'll click and everything's quiet and he'll, and he'll pitch. And mm-hmm. and I think that for me it's all about to me having that consequence. I think the higher the consequence, the more narrow the focus that you talk about is and the, and the bigger payoff there is, whether you're jumping off a cliff and skis, you're hitting the air, you're going, towing into huge waves. Uh, you're, you're surfing, you're foil surfing a bigger wave than you ever have before. If you're sup foiling the biggest wave you've ever done before, or you're out in area that's sketchy, you know, you get that narrow, narrow focus. That's a really good way to describe it. I think there's a spectrum. And so, I have not found that narrow spectrum that I had on the sit down foil as much. I have hit it surfing, but not as much. It's just a different, it's a different flow state. If that makes sense. And what you talked about. It it does. And I I think like this might also be interesting to dive into. I I lived in Costa Rica for 11 years and um, got into those States in a, on a very regular basis. Then we had to move back to the States and, I mean, there was this just overwhelming kind of lack uh, feeling of just emptiness almost without being tapped into that. Foiling brought it back for me. But I almost feel like um, you need like a flow recovery center. It's almost <laughs> like you're you're addicted to something. I look at like professional athletes or, or musicians that are used to touring and playing for stadiums. Like how do you go from those experiences into like the mundacity of, of kind of normal life without that. And I don't think there's many people that understand that loss. It's like, Oh yeah, you're not, you're not, you know, jumping anymore or, Oh, you don't have the ocean. It's like, well, it's not really that it's this whole other world that I live in. Um, how was it for you when you transitioned? Are are you still doing a lot of air chair? And I know that you're not competing in the same level anymore, but, um, was there, was there a, transition period for you when you stepped away a little bit? So I'm not riding anymore. I think I've ridden twice. Uh, I know I haven't ridden in a long time and I, it was very similar to what you're talking about is when we were on the North shore, we got a, a, a surf lesson from a, a surfer named Marcus Hickman, who had, he was a pro. He went to the, I think he got third at pipeline at some point and he took us out to sunset and, and he talked about on the way there, I'll never forget. It. He talked about, we were talking to him and he said, yeah, it's like filling your cup and, and the waves around here aren't filling my cup anymore. I need to go bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. So he was doing toe and surfing mm-hmm. and to fill his cup. And I think what you talked about for me in the transition, much like Marcus needed bigger waves because I couldn't, I mean, when I was hydrofoiling, that was it. I did other, I, I, I would go to sleep thinking about technique i would study tons and tons of film and i've listened to your podcast about you watching film of yourself that's how we i i I learned all these tricks by myself and i talked to my buddies you know jake bradley and some other guys around hey what's happening here have my wife watch the film to say hey if i fall this way watch i think i'm doing this i need to try this next time and you talked about putting your left arm down when you're turning and working on style well that that's that's what I was doing for 15 years, just hardcore, right? That's what it was all about is how do we get the next frame? How do we get the next half frame? And 
the transition. So after I hit the, I don't know how long ago, it was 64 frames. That next year I still rode. But then after that I stopped. I just could not, I wasn't filling the bucket. And I knew that I, I knew that I couldn't, I knew that I had another frame in me. I don't know if this will make sense. I knew I had 65 frames in me, but it, that was the first time I wasn't willing to, you know, die or seriously harm myself any further. It just wasn't worth it. And so as I stepped away, that's that same year I started river surfing. I was on the North shore and I'm like, man, I want to surf. There's got to be a way to surf inland. And then I found out river surfing. So I started river surfing. And then within a year there, I'm like, Hey, what if we tried foiling on the river? And then it took a while because I didn't have the Brian Schumacher extreme foil guy developing my stuff. And I immediately saw these wings that are too small. We got to go bigger. Trust me, you're going to go bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and it's going to perform just as good. And, it, you know, if it follows the same cycle. And, and so I've learned it's a different flow state. And I'm going to use that now, Eric, that it's a different flow state, but it's still flow state. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's been hard. Yeah. Like recovery. Yeah. It's. I don't know if it's morning is the right word, but I've just had to figure out a different way to, to let it rip. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. You know, I find that a substitute for consequence is margin. So the smaller margins that I like to, I like to race a lot. Like I got into cart league okay. racing um, when we got back and I found that, um, in racing, I mean, there's almost zero consequence, but because you're working with such fine margins, you are getting, um, especially, you know, like, like the league night type stuff. Um, it was a very deep state, no consequence, but, but as deep of a state as I would be in if I was, you know, surfing bigger barrels at one of our heavier beach breaks. Um, and it lasted longer because you were, you know, um, working on these very fine, you know, inch margins on corners and, and all of that kind of stuff. And so I got really addicted to that. And, and I still love it when I have, when I have the opportunity when we're up, when we're up North, I, um, I drive as much as possible. Um, and so that's, that's interesting. It might be something to, you know, I felt, I feel like foiling, I feel like that's why foiling gives me what it does is because you're working on very, very small margins when you're, um, doing turns under the lip and, and you're at simultaneously reading where the, where the wave is, the, the angle of the face of the wave, where your foil tip is and, um, the lines that you're going to navigate. It feels very similar to driving for me. And, and those States are a relatively low consequence. We're talking about a two foot wave and going 15 miles an right. hour, but you get really deep in those moments. And, um, might be something fun to, to play with or to think about. Yeah, that'd be, I've done kart racing once and I loved it. It's, it was, it was in the indoor uh, area. Right. I think what you talked about is really critical and you, you talk about more margins and margins for error, even if there's not a lot of consequence, that's still, it's about growth and getting better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's right. That's the thing about hydrofoiling. It doesn't matter what foil you're on that I've talked to. People have a similar experience. It's like, Oh, I just, They'd get up on the the sit down foil behind the boat. They're like, oh, 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 I just want to get up. Oh, I just want to fly. Oh, I just want to go outside the wake. You know, and there's this progression that happens. And it's the same thing I think that can happen on no matter what discipline you're at, whether it's winging or, you know, beyond a boat or on the ocean. 
that really makes a difference. I think one of the margins for error for me, river foil surfing, is getting to the wave is so challenging that reps to get into some waves, like the one I'm going to go to today, it's it's flown at like 9,000 CFS. It's going to, you know, out of 10 attempts to get to the wave, I might get four. And the rest, you know, I'm swimming because that's a margin of error because it's so turbulent. It's like you're it's like a world. It's it's crazy. It's crazy challenging just to get there. So part of the rush, it's actually just getting into the wave. Like I made it <laughs> great. Okay. Now what do I need? <laughs> I love it, man. Yeah. Um, well, this has been an epic podcast. I told you, Ben, when we, we were talking about doing this show, he thought it was gonna be the shortest podcast we ever did. It's one of the longest ones. It's one of my favorite. I really appreciate it. Um, well, I've been all over. The, anything else you want? I've been all over the place. I don't even know what we talked about. It's like we just kind of hung out and talked foils, which we can do a ton. But yeah, we'll do it again at some point. I'm sure. I, I actually learned a lot from this show. There's my mind is really, especially the U wing. I mean, it's so funny that I'd really never thought about a a U wing before, but it hit so many of the things that I like about the dihedral um, foils kind of fits with that some a framework that i i already believe in um and then and then if you do that uh, find a way to do that and find a way to get a, a tail wing we talked about real simple that we can just jack the angle of attack and then i'll be real when you say jack the angle of attack do you know how many degrees you're talking about uh lots like quarters just kidding i I always had, I just like so much lift that all my wings, my rear wings were all custom made so that I used, I, uh-huh. I think they, I think I always felt, not felt, I saw through data that my wings rode better if I had, if I had so much positive lift built into the wing itself that I had to negative shim. And when I had to, oh, wow. I had to put negative, so I rode with negative one shim because I had Brian make so much positive lift into it that they ride they rode better it was smoother I, and i don't know if that's because the shim when, when you put the shim in and the angle of attack you know you have to raise that rear wing depending on if it's on the top or bottom um where mm-hmm. that shim is i found i liked stacking i just like so much lift um that i haven't had wings overpower me you just get forward on it and we're good. And maybe that's because I weigh more or the safety in, on a, on a surf foil is the same as a sit down. It's forward. It's not back. If you get in trouble, just get more forward. And mm-hmm. yeah. So if, if you can do that, ours were 0. 0.25, 0. 0.5, 0. 0.75, 1, 1, 2, And then it'd go to the point where we'd be, bre- we'd break bolts because that's why you had to get the lift built into the rear wing. Cause if you had too much shim, you had too long of a bolt and you'd shear them. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Like, yeah. Yeah. So you have to, when you, the wings had some lift built into them, some of the, sh- not in terms of the profile, but the actual wing itself as it mounts to the plate had lift built into it. The angle of attack, I should say. Think- was in the, was in the mount. Yeah. yeah. So do that, get, get, you know, and then, then I'll be, I'd love to test it. And if you have any ideas for me, I would love to hear anybody, you know, that's actually listened this long to the podcast river. So I, I've surfed on the river with no rear wing, surf on the boat with no rear wing without any stabilizer. Um, 
because I, I don't know what that rear wing's doing in the river because it's a pile wave. So the, the, the rear wing's really in, in most, unless it's a green river wave, again, that's regular setups work for that. But with a pile wave where the rear wing is back in water that's not really flowing, if anybody has ideas, <laughs> that's what I would like. Because I the front the front part of the foil lifts up, but the back sinks on pile waves. So I want that back to get picked that's up. That's interesting. What what length fuse are you using? You could go to really short fuses. Yeah, I, Armstrong makes like a fifty. Fifty. I put wings on, so then I just drilled holes in my my mat, the fuselage, and I put them right behind the. I put them about an inch behind the mast all the way back, but I still had the, the bar go back, but I mounted the wings all over the place. I put, I put front wings on the rear wing. I put, I made tri wings. I've, I've made, you know, by rear wings, just trying to find a way to get that rear wing up. And I, and I think a shorter mast might work or a shorter fuselage might work, but I, the crazy foil, if you look at that, it's, I still have a, a scar in my forearm from that because it's metal. But I, I put the where what what is it called when you have the big rear wing? The rear wing's big and the front wing's small. Oh, um, oh my goodness! I I had it and I just blanked on it. I'll think of it in a second. Whatever that's called, I've tried that. That might be the answer yep. too. But I, you know, if anybody has any ideas, I'm game because because I think inland river foil surfing and we're talking it's going to unlock it's going to be untapped nobody's doing it and there's a whole bunch of spots to do it and we want to do it just not on big huge green waves that are only in a couple times a year we want to be able to go out like today go out and foil i wonder if you could pump in front of the wave and then come back into the wave at some point probably well kyle lenny does and and those are on those yeah. are on like the Glenwood really really big waves. The wave I'm going on today is maybe knee high, and mm -hmm. and so and, and the other thing too to think about is you're really surfing uphill because the the water is coming down a slope and making the wave. So you're not mm -hmm. you're not it's not flat. You're actually surfing kind of facing up. Anyways, that's, that's not that's not why we had the talk today, but. That's my passion right now. So if anybody has any ideas, I could, I could hit you up. Hit. What's your Instagram? How, how do people hit you with ideas? Oh, I, well, it's my Instagram is Darth Fern on Instagram. And that all, that nickname came from Hydrofoiling World. Uh, but yeah, I just, and I, and I can show you all the different types of things I've tried. I just haven't figured it out yet. I know we can do it. I know it's possible. You should start posting all of these cool ideas. Just start, you know, everybody should follow um, Ben at Darth Fern on Instagram. Um, so definitely go check out all the YouTube clips, which are just insane. Well, it's been, it's been super fun. And I, you know. Yeah, this has been epic. It, it, it's great having to talk. I don't know if anybody's going to learn anything. I seriously thought it'd be about a five minute, 10 minute talk. It's foils, man. There's no five minute talk when you talk foils. I know, and that's the key. If you're flying a ten inch foil in a pile wave, or you're riding a ninety centimeter wave out in the you know mast out in the ocean, as long as you're charging, pushing it, I mean that's what that's all that really matters. That's awesome, Ben. Thank you very much for spending a large part of your Saturday morning with me, and um, 
think everybody's going to love this. I think, I think this has a, been a very unique perspective on a sport that anyone listening uh, probably loves. So appreciate hey, it. And thank you for having me. And it's really cool to see your progression um, in, in this sport too, because you can follow you and just see all the stuff that you're doing. And I, I really appreciate you having me on. Hopefully, you know, again, if people have lasted this long, more power to you. I think, I think a lot of people will, man. This has been super interesting. I think the back half was better. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Ben. All right. Hey, take care, Eric.